You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Well, we're on a journey as a church, uh, looking at discipleship. We've been on this topic pretty much since the church began, actually. <laughs> but as, a, as, a, as, as our community, uh, we've been on this since January, looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to live for Jesus? You know, spending a year, uh, what would this year look like if we just became just fall out, you know what, I'm just going to live the way that Jesus, number one, lived, I'm going to copy him. But then number two, what did Jesus say about certain things? Uh, how do I live those kind of things? And so that's the goal, is that we would be more like Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but that we would be uh, followers of Jesus and be like Jesus. And I think that that is the cost of being a Christian. Now, let me say this, salvation is free, okay? It costs you nothing, to be saved uh, 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 from, uh, from eternal death, right? The Bible says from, from, from eternity separated from God, right? If you don't know Jesus, that's the, uh, that's the destination. Uh, salvation from that is free, totally free. It costs you nothing. It costs Jesus everything and it's a free gift. His grace is free. His mercies are new every day and they're for you and they're free and they cost you nothing. However... I think discipleship costs. It costs to be a disciple of Jesus. Why? Because being a disciple means that I have to persevere with a few things. It means that I, uh, in, in my life, uh, following Jesus, I need to persevere in keeping my eyes on Christ, right? That's the cost. And so there is this cost as a, as a disciple to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, we love going for bushwalks as a family and my kids are little explorers and they love going off the beaten track. They like going into the bush, into the jungle and uh, forging their own tracks. And one day we're up at Springbrook uh, National Park and we were going on a bushwalk and Malachi and Abbey, off they went uh, into the bushes, not on the track. Um, they went off into the bushes and then I hear this, Dad, help, Dad, help. And so I'm like, no, you went off the path. Fig figure it out yourself. So he passed away a couple of years ago. No, no, that's not true. So I did what every dad did. I watched him get out through struggle. No, 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 no. Uh, I went and I helped him. He, what happened was the kids walked into, you know those, those uh, way to wild bushes? In a way, you walk into it and then it clings because it's got the barbs and it clings to you. And as you pull away, it even grabs you more. He was in one of those, you know. And uh, so I helped him uh, get out of that. But every time he pulled away, it grabbed him more. And I think that's what sin is kind of like, right? We get in, we get trapped in it. It entangles us. And then as we try and pull ourselves out in our own strength, it grabs us even more and it tangles us up. It's easy to get tangled up with sin. Let us run with perseverance. That's the cost, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You are not the beginning of your faith in Jesus. Jesus is the pioneer of your faith. Right? Jesus is the perfecter of your faith. And so the cost for us is that I would follow Jesus who will make my faith stronger. Right? That's the cost. I want to show you a video this morning of a guy who was running a race who was doing well. But then in one moment, he took his eyes off perseverance. Watch what happens.
Scorpio, he's getting the crowd, he wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't, and you know, you see his face, and you know... Uh, he was winning! He was going to win! And then he took his eyes off what he should have been persevering toward. Right, and he put his eyes on glory. He put his eyes on other things. He put his eyes on, you know, himself. You know, people are cheering for me. He took his eyes off the finish and he put his eyes on something else. And in the end, he lost the race because he didn't persevere. And I think sometimes for us as Christians, we can take our eyes off what we should be persevering with, which is keeping our eyes on the prize that being Jesus, and we take our eyes off Jesus, and sometimes it feels like that things begin to overtake us in life. And I think it's because we've taken our eyes off Jesus of what we should be persevering in. Uh, Romans 12, I think, gives us a clear picture of what we should be persevering in. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. I want to see some spiritual fervour right here this morning. Okay. <laughs> be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Right? This is what we should be keeping our eyes on, persevering. And so this is the cost. The cost is that I will hate those things in my life that can be evil. The cost is that I will honour people above myself. The cost is that I will choose more and more to be patient and to be faithful in prayer and joyful in hope. Right? And like the guy in the video, my prayer is that we all finish the race that God has set for us. Right? God has a race for you. God has a race for me. We're not in competition. You're not competing with anyone. You're just trying to finish the race and become more like Jesus. And so that's my prayer for you and for me that we would finish our race well. And so we've been looking over the last months, what does it mean to be a disciple? What's the cost of discipleship? You know, and we've been looking at, well, if discipleship is following Jesus and being in the teachings of Jesus, then let's see what Jesus has to say about a few things. And so we've been unpacking Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is Jesus' first sermon. Jesus comes uh, out from being uh, baptised and, 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 uh, and ready for ministry. He comes and preaches uh, this new kingdom that's being established, and he makes uh, comments on what it is uh, that we need to be disciplined in to follow Jesus, because that's the thing, right? There is a discipline. And so Jesus is going through his first sermon, and we've been unpacking this for a while now, and he's coming to the end, which means that we're coming to the end. Next week is our last week in this series. Oh. <laughs> and uh, we're almost ready to talk about something new. And uh, no, but Jesus talks about new things all the time. And uh, that's what we're doing today. We're going to be talking about uh, new things. But uh, Jesus is coming to the end of his sermon and he's tying everything up. He's, he's, he's tying everything together that it, of what he said. He's brought in this new kingdom and the things that you can expect in this new kingdom. He's been talking about you know, how to inherit the kingdom of God. He's talked about how to be salt and light. He, he's talked about, uh, about uh, how uh, marriage is to be done in this new kingdom. He's talked about generosity. He's talked about how you pray, how you seek for things 
things. He's talked about a treasure in heaven. He's talked about heaven on earth. He's talked about all these things. Now he's tying everything up in his end response. And with Jesus, his end response is always this. Whenever Jesus did something or said something, he always finished by saying this. Now that you've seen or now that you've heard, how is this going to change you? What decision are you going to make now with what you've seen and heard? And so Jesus is coming into the end of his first sermon and he's saying, now that you've heard what the kingdom of God is like, how is this going to change your life? What decisions are you going to make in your life that are going to get you closer to God? Right? The path is narrow. We talked about that last week, right? What are you going to do now in your life to be closer to God? See, discipleship is both a communal directive and an individual one, right? The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, right? We aren't brides, we are the bride, right? As the church, the Bible says that we are the army of the Lord. Uh, We are branches and He is the vine. Uh, We are the ecclesia, right? We are the gathering. There is a discipleship in community. There is a call for us as a church to follow Jesus, but discipleship is also an individual thing, right? Because Jesus, more often than not, is looking at the hearts of people and says, now what you've seen and now what you've heard, how is your heart going to change? Those things on the inside that are keeping you from God, how is that going to change you? And so Jesus is all about the individual and what do you need to change in your life to be closer to God's kingdom or to walk with Jesus? You know, I've mentioned this book before, but Lois Ferberg writes a book called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, and in it, she talks about how, uh, how uh, back in uh, the Jewish tradition, uh, the students of the rabbi would walk really close to their teacher. And uh, the idea was that as the teacher walked, the sandals would flick up the dust of where he's walking. And so whoever was close to the rabbi would have this dust on the front of their garments. And so you could tell if someone was close to their teacher by how dusty they were right? By how much dirt was on them. No one in Israel thought that person needs to go to the dry cleaners and get their clothes cleaned, right? No one thought that. When they saw someone dirty from there to about here, their first thought was they must be close to their teacher. They must be close to their rabbi. They're so close that even the dust is flicking up. My question for you is this, is the dust of Jesus on you? Are you walking so closely to your teacher? Are you walking so closely to the things of God that people can tell that you're dusty with the things of God? That's the challenge as a Christian, is that we would walk so close to Jesus that people can tell, right? That's the challenge for us. That's called discipleship. It's a walk. It's walking with Jesus, meaning this, that your focus as a Christian is not to reflect on other people's circumstances, but your own, right? My job as a disciple of Jesus is that I would reflect Jesus, not tell someone else how to reflect Jesus. My job is to imitate Christ, right? Not stand there telling everyone else how to imitate Christ. My job is that I would identify with Christ. Stop telling people how they should identify, right? My job is to follow Jesus, right? Not stand there commentating on other people's walks because Jesus is interested in my heart and Jesus is interested in your heart, 
right? And so that's the cost, is allowing Jesus to work in you. Why? Because no one can walk that path except for yourself. No one can walk. I can't run your race and you can't run my race. You have to run your race with God. Your entrance into God's kingdom of peace and prosperity or denial into it is not determined by how others respond to Jesus, but by how you respond to Jesus, right? That's how you get in, right? Is how you respond to Jesus. And so Jesus is finishing up his first sermon. He's asking his audience, how are you going to respond to this? And Jesus isn't silly. Right? He knows that there's people in the crowd. He's just talked about you know, how to uh, enter God's kingdom, how to do marriage, how to uh, live generously, uh, how to conduct yourself, how to behave. He knows that there's people in the audience going, oh man, that person needs that. You know? And uh, man, my neighbour, I know what they did yesterday. They need a bit of Jesus. You know? Uh, you know, oh, those people on the front row there, you know, man, they need a bit of Jesus. Right? <laughs> I thought I'd get more laugh there, but anyway. <laughs> Was that joke funny, Jonathan? Oh, ha, 50-50, okay. That's good. Every Tuesday, Jonathan lets me know what jokes worked and what didn't. And uh, <laughs> no, that's good. Right? Jesus knows that people are thinking. Man, that person needs Jesus and they need Jesus in their life. But what Jesus always does is he always says, hey, stop looking at other people with what you have seen and what you have heard. How is this changing your life? Jesus wants to know how it's changing you. And so he comes to the end of his sermon and Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says this, do not judge others. Everyone say others. And you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus is talking about two things. Number one, he's talking about real life situations, which is what we're going to talk about today. Secondly, he's talking about eternal judgment, right? How you judge other people is how God judges you. Verse three, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Verse five, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is the next thing that we're looking at at what Jesus said. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we unpack this this morning, that you would inspire us, that, that, that you would uh, equip us. Lord, as a church, that we would, uh, number one, uh, be uh, 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 good in the work of being introspective, Lord, in, looking, in uh, working hard to pay that cost of discipleship and allowing you to do a work in our life first, Lord. And then, Lord, we want to be a lighthouse to this city. Lord, we want this place to be a house of healing, Lord, a, a, a house of salvation, Lord, and a house of help. And so I pray, Lord, that you would revive us so that we can be revival to the community. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. There was this early saying in Israel that said this, judge each person uh, with the scales weighted in their favour. Judge each person with the scales weighted in their favour. The idea came from a marketplace uh, uh, anomaly where what would happen 
is, uh, let's say you went to the market to buy some flour or some rice or something like that. You would go to the, to the storekeeper and you would take your copper coins, uh, usually or silver, and uh, he would put uh, a certain amount of uh, flour that, that, that you wanted on the scales and the scales would tip, right? Because flour is heavier, so it tips. Then what you do is you would put your coin, right, on and you would put the amount of coins needed for the scales to be even, right? And so you would have the amount of flour that you've bought with your money, right? And so the scales would go even, okay, you've, that's how much flour you have. But there was this custom in Jewish culture to tip the scales in the other person's favour. And so what the shopkeeper would do is he would grab a little bit more flour and he would put the flour on to tip the scales in the favour of the purchaser. That's what would happen, right? So that was the saying. Uh, judge, judge each person with the scales weighted in their favour. So the idea was this, that as the shopkeeper was kind and would tip the scales in the favour of the other person, if that person ever interacted with the shopkeeper in another type, maybe the shopkeeper was buying something off them or maybe the shopkeeper did something, right? That person would tip the scales favourably in favour of the shopkeeper. And so the idea was to create this society where we're always giving favour to the other person. We're tipping the scales in the other person's favour. We see it in the book of Luke. Jesus says this, Do not judge others or you will be judged, right? Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Check this out, verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, unfortunately, we've used this scripture in offering messages. This is not talking about money, this scripture. It's talking about judging people. And what Jesus is saying is this, is the amount that you judge people that's going to be the amount given back. And so if you can be favourable in how you look upon people, then there's going to be favour given back to you, running over, pressed down in a good measure. But if you judge harshly on people, there's going to be a return, pressed down, running over, shaken together, right? Jesus is saying, you will be judged the same way that you look upon other people. And so it's to your advantage that we give favour to others when they make mistakes. Jesus was saying that if you have a tendency to judge favourably, then you will be favourably judged, number one, by God, but number two, by people around you. The same measure that you use, right? The same attitude that you bring into relationships will be given back. If you have a tendency to judge harsh, then that same harshness will be given to you, right? That same attitude back to you. How you treat other people then has eternal consequence, right? How you treat other people can impact your eternity and it can impact certainly your present. How you treat others favourably or unfavourably has consequence. I want to tell you a story about a naked guy in a tent. You find it in Genesis. It says this, Genesis 9.20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine and had, that, that, that he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem, 
Japheth, uh, and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from his stupor, from his sleep, he learned what Ham had done, that he had seen his nakedness and then gone and told other people. Verse 25, Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants of his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed. And may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the property of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Your life, and certainly the next generation, uh, and its success or not, is determined by many things. Uh, things like, like you know, uh, wage, house, attitude, education, skill sets, and experiences. All those things have a factor. But I want to suggest this morning that one of the greatest influences on your life and the future generation is the influence of relationships. They have a huge consequence. You are the average, sociologists say, of the top five people that you spend time with, right? You're the average of that group, right? Relationships define who you are. It defines what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind, right? Whoever the guy was that said, I don't care what other people think about me, that guy probably didn't have a wife, okay? He probably didn't have friends. Uh, he probably didn't have a church, right? He wasn't hanging out with anyone. Uh, people, uh, relationships are important to, to your future. Uh, uh, relationships are essential. How you treat relationships will determine what kind of doors open up for you. How you treat relationships will determine what doors will close to you, right? Relationships are essential and they're important to your future. Ham finds himself in a situation where he sees the nakedness of his father. He sees the silliness of the situation, right? His dad has just uh, 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 done something almost Christ-like where people were saved from this great flood, right, in this ark. God has done a miracle in their life. And now Noah, instead of living on the high of what God has just done, he goes and gets himself drunk, right? And he's lying in his tent naked and his son comes in and sees the humanity of his dad, sees the silliness of what his dad's doing. And instead of Ham covering up his father's nakedness and his father's humanity, he goes out and he makes his dad look like a fool in front of everyone else. He makes his dad look like an idiot, he makes his dad look like a loser. And what happens in the end? Well, in the end, Noah gets pretty upset and he gets pretty ticked. And the Bible says that he curses, right? Uh, he curses his son because of what he did. Now, let me say this. In Jesus, there is no curses, right? Jesus is the great curse breaker. However, who knows that when trust is broken, it takes a lifetime to rebuild. Trust can be broken in a moment, takes a whole lifetime to rebuild. The reason that we judge other people is because ultimately we're lazy <laughs> in our minds, right? We don't want to work and think things through. Judging quickly and having snap judgments, right? Uh, it doesn't require much thinking or 
reasoning. Our brains are wired in such a way that we make automatic judgments about others' behaviours so that we can move through the world quickly and at ease, not spending much time and not much energy uh, trying to understand everything that we see. And so we make these snap calls, we make these snap judgments about others so we don't have to think. But I don't know about you, every time I do things without thinking, it gets me into trouble. Just ask my wife, okay, right? <laughs> thinking is important, right? Judging is simply our attempt to create, a, uh, to create an easy hierarchy of better than and worse than, of superior to and inferior to, right and wrong, worth and worthless. And we have this innate desire built into us that we want to know who is better, who is more superior in the situation, who is right and who is more valuable. And usually we come out as the hero in that story, Right? And so we'll make a judgment on someone, we see something and we go, okay, just to make this simple, who's right, who's wrong? Well, it must be me. I'm not wrong, right? They, they must be wrong. I'm a, uh, in this situation, okay, who, uh, who's more valuable here? Who's inferior, who's superior? And more often than not, we're the ones who in our story, we come out as superior. And it's only because we do that because we're, uh, we, 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 we don't want to work hard and work with that person and work with our own humanity to say, why is this, why in me did I react this way? Why did I do this? We don't want to ask that question because that's too hard to handle. And so we make these snap calls. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Right? We need to be a people who think, who forgive, and who work hard. Let's be people who think, we forgive, and we work hard. Now, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that if you see something malicious, if you see something illegal, if you see something that is abusive, if you see something that is threatening, then we cover that up. That's not what I'm saying, right? Jesus is very much for fighting against injustice, and we are the same here. Right, We will always fight against injustice. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Right, He's talking about the people's fallenness. He's talking about our humanity. Right, What Jesus is saying is this. Before you set out to fix others, look towards your own brokenness first. Right, Don't project your brokenness onto other people and attempt to fix yourself by trying to fix other people. Let's not be that. Right? Let's not see the brokenness in ourselves and go, you know what? It's too hard to handle that. So I'm just going to go find people who have that same hurt that I have and I'm going to go fix them. And as I fix them, hopefully I get fixed. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work like that. And so we don't do it, right? I have some good news for you this morning. Ezekiel says this, Ezekiel 36. It says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I want to tell you this morning that there might be some brokenness in your life right now. There might be some things that hurt. There might be some things that are shattered. You might have a broken heart, right? There might be some things that you are struggling with, right? And while we've been talking, you've been thinking, oh man, yeah, I haven't been a good disciple there and, 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 and I reacted this way and, and this hurt someone. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is not in the, in the business of fixing you. 
Jesus isn't in the business of fixing a broken heart. Jesus isn't in the business of fixing who you are. The Bible is clear that Jesus is in the business of giving you a new heart. Jesus is in the business of giving you a new life. Jesus is in the business of giving you something new for something that was old and broken. You need to know this morning that when you say yes to the Holy Spirit, He can come into your life. And instead of just taking that broken stuff and fixing it and making it look all right, He's into the process of giving you something entirely new. My kid sat on my computer a few years ago and I went and got it fixed. And it's all right. The camera doesn't work. The touch screen isn't as good as what it was, right? And uh, so I just went and bought a new one, <laughs> right? And it's good. It's perfect. You need to know this morning that Jesus wants to come into your life and He wants to take things that were broken, discard it and give it to you new. He wants to give you a new hope. He wants to give you a new joy. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new heart. And all you have to do is say, yes. That's all we have to do. It's free. It's free to have those new things. That's what we have in Jesus. Psalm 85, 6 says, Won't you revive us again so that your people can rejoice in you? Some of you here need to find a new rejoice. There needs to be a new joy in your life, right? And I'm telling you, Jesus has it for you. The word revival is uh, uh, two words. In the ancient language, uh, the language was pictures, there was two pictures. The first picture for the word revive is someone pointing saying, hey, look over there. That's the first picture. It meant to, uh, um, it meant to reveal and it means to give breath. That's what, that's what it means. Hey, look at that, right? It means to reveal and it means to give breath. Uh, the second picture is the picture of a wall and a wall means to divide. It means to say that this half is in and this half is out. And so what the word revival means is it means to give breath into the things that are on the outside. The Jews thought this, that anyone or anything in your life that was on the outside of God's presence is, is, is in a constant state of decay or death. That's what they believed. And so whenever the word revival was written, what it meant was this, is that God wants to bring a fresh breath of life into that thing that seems dead. That's why in Genesis, God breathes into the dust and it comes alive. The thing that was just dust becomes living. God wants to breathe a breath of fresh air into your life this morning. He wants to breathe life into those things that right now you're going, you know what? That seems to be decaying right now. I don't know what's dying on the inside of you right now, but what I do know is that Jesus can breathe into you and He can give you a new life. It's almost like you get born again when you experience Jesus. Let's stand this morning and we're going to worship God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 